Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, just back from Alaska. Had a little bit of drama on the way coming back. I was supposed to be back Friday night, didn't make it back till Saturday night. And I'll tell you the story because there's a little bit of learning lesson in that story with air travel. Now, I wasn't traveling with a firearm, though I did have a Pelican with a bunch of my stuff in it. Um, a square Pelican, you know, covered in firearm stickers and locked up. But I wasn't traveling with a firearm per se. So anyway, get up on Friday, Sheep Creek Lodge, have some breakfast. And I'm hanging around because it's only about a two hour ride to the airport from the lodge. I get an alert that the plane is delayed coming into Anchorage. Cool. Beautiful day in Alaska. 70s. Gorgeous. So we sit out on the deck. Mark and Tina are having some beers. I'm having some uh, iced tea and stuff because I got to drink. Or I got to drive, so I don't want to drink. Right? So anyway... Then I get another alert. The flight's delayed again coming from like Chicago or wherever the hell it was coming from. So I hang out, have lunch. And I'm going to know, Mark's telling me the whole time, dude, they're canceling it. Dude, they're canceling it. I said, well, if they do, I'm here. I'm good. I'll just get a room another night. We'll have a party. There you are. Three o'clock, or it's actually like 2.55 flight supposed to leave Chicago. So three o'clock, I get the alert. The flight's in the air. I said, okay, flight's in the air. I'm good. Now, instead of leaving at 2 in the afternoon, it's now going to leave at 8 o'clock at night. So I hang out at the lodge a little bit and then drive into the airport for 6 o'clock. Go there and, you know, everything's cool. Uh, TSA is not that big of a deal. They're running the dogs at Anchorage. So you don't have to take your shoes off. You don't have to take your stuff out of your laptop. Just drop everything on and go. I get through security a breeze, man. It was golden. No problem. Get to the line, and we're sitting there waiting. Plane pulls up. Everybody gets out, getting ready to go sit, go get home. You know, I'll be home late, but hey, man, it is what it is. You know, get home 2, 3 in the morning. No big deal. I'm only a half hour from the airport. So then, 10 minutes before we're supposed to board, they're like, nope, flight's canceled. We don't have a crew for you. They've logged too many miles. You all have to go over to ticketing because we need this gate and rebook your flight. So now people understand this. People have been there, and, and this is a booked flight, pretty full. People have been there since 11 o'clock in the morning or sooner because whatever reason, Alaska's a big state. They travel around. They didn't get the alerts. I don't know. But they've been there since 11. It's now 8 o'clock at night. So they're pissed. So we all leave, go through security, we all go to ticketing, and it's a mess. And, you know, the, the ticket agents are a little bit over their head, and they're and everybody's kind of shuffling in, in dealing with all this. So, classic, man. I'm at the back of the line and the whole thing, and, and this woman, uh, one of the agents says, if you're from flight 1821, please raise your hand. And like three people in front of me, this old guy yells, what finger first, and gives them the bird. Right. So, you know, they're pissed. The people are, are, are mad. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm right here in Anchorage. I, I know what's going on. I know where to go. I know where to stay. I'm not worried about it. Although it is tourist season and we'll come to that in a second. Then, um, you know, like a half hour into waiting, like nobody's really been taken care of. Nobody's really been rebooked yet. They're kind of scrambling and they're doing this Keystone Cop thing behind the counter. 
We hear over the intercom, they say, if you're from 1821, you now have to go back through security and we're going to take off. We, we're going we're gonna to fly you. And my phone is giving me two different alerts. I have a text message alert and I have the app alert. So now this is United. So the text message is like saying we're going to go to Seattle and they're going to pick up a new crew. The app is kind of saying it's canceled but hasn't really updated. So as we all rush over to security... You know, the word comes down, and and I went through the regular line with this family. The word comes down and says, no, you got to get over to the pre-TSA line because they're getting all these people through because they want the plane to take off. And there's actually some United agents by TSA. Well, TSA's having none of it. They don't give a fuck what United says or does. And, you know, people who now came in the pre-TSA line are getting told no and all this. Well, in front of me is this family. And here's first travel tip. Okay, listen, man, I don't get into any drama. I don't get mad. I don't care. I'm going to change and no big deal. All right. But this family in front of me was livid. A kid about 12, another kid about six. Uh, You know, it was this, the woman was about my height, about Indian descent, not that it mattered. And, and she was with her husband, who wasn't uh, of Indian descent. But it, it was it was a mixed marriage family. And, and this doesn't matter only to say she was pissed. He said nothing. And I'm only setting the picture and describing them because she's like my height, okay? And she's bent. So when we get up there in front of me, when we get to TSA and they're like, no, you can't come in this line, she's like goes the frig off. And I'm just kind of, I backed up just a little bit, but I'm still hanging with him because I kind of blend into the family dynamic a bit. And she's throwing a fit. Well, right then the agent comes over from United and she's flipping out. Well, I've been talking to this like young couple behind me uh, and, you know, they actually bought like a bottle of vodka at the gate. And now TSA saying, we don't care what you did, what's going on, rules apply, you're done. We don't care if we already looked at you. You, 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 it's new rule. It's, it's original rules again. Well, now we go over and like half of us had been through. So here's the the tip. As this woman's freaking out, she then slides from PS, uh, TSA pre-check. She slides over to the non-pre-check and just cuts the line. So I kind of slid with her and the people behind me slid with her. So they're distracted by her pitching a fit. We slide over and cut the line. Well, there's a bunch of people now who went through when the dog was there. And there's no dog there, so original rules apply. So people are not doing anything and just throwing their bags on, leaving their shoes on, and trying to go through. Now it bottles up again. And it's like, what that, you know, it's a clusterfuck at TSA. It's bad. And the funny thing is because this woman pitched a fit. She's in front of me and her family, they flagged her 12-year-old son bag. And they flagged mine as well coming in behind him, which didn't get flagged the first time. I did nothing different than the first trip through and the second. In fact, this trip, I took my laptop and iPad out this time through. The first time through, nothing came out. So her his bags get flagged. My bag gets flagged. And many other people. It's now stacking up on where they're flagging bags. So they're in front of me and they're getting a check 
And the guy goes through and he's looking at the computer to see what they flag. And you know, you know what it is? The kid's flip-flops. He had a pair of flip-flops pushed in together. No, not kidding. Flip-flop friggin' shoes, man. His shower shoes, right? And the guy kind of looked at it. And when he pulled out what was flagged, he kind of, he did, he had a look on his face. And the woman now goes off again. What the fuck are you people doing? What's going on? And this guy's like, hey, you know, things look different on other looks. And she's pissed. Well, then when it comes to my bag, in the outside pocket of my bag, and it's not even have a zipper, no nothing. It's just pushed in the outside, is the microphone I use for the drunken podcasts up at Sheep Creek. And it's about a four-inch little microphone. It has a mini, mini, like another four-inch tabletop tripod. And when he looks at it, he sees it's flagged on the outside and he pulls out the tripod, you know, the tripod with the the microphone on it. And like I said, this fits in a little, probably three-inch side pocket kind of deal. And he's like, hey, what do you use this for? I'm like, oh, it's for podcasting. And he's like, oh, okay, well, they flagged it. Sorry about that. And he just slides it back in and he hands me a bag. He doesn't even open it. So... Moral of the story on that point is you piss them off, those overrated postal workers will get mad, man, and start flagging everything. And that's what they did. So then we go to the gate. Crew goes on. People are watching the crew do their pre-check. And you can hear some people at the window. Oh, look, the crew's there. And we're waiting to fly. 15 minutes later, whatever, it was a little bit. And, and all of a sudden they're like, nope, flight's canceled. We're done. You're out. You know, but if you just want to roll your flight over from the two o'clock today to the two o'clock tomorrow, stay here at ticketing. Anybody else who wants to try to get another situation, you know, you got to go to um, the, the the ticket counter. So we're at ticketing. We're, I'm the third guy in line. And the, the first group is this Japanese guy who doesn't really speak English too well. And she hasn't even deal with him. She gets a phone call that says... Leave the gate. They got to use it. Go to ticketing counter. Now everybody who's in line doesn't want to lose their place in line. So they're pissed and there's people yelling and screaming. So we follow her single file around. Well, then the Japanese tour group from one guy turns into eight people, which didn't make nobody happy. And that's kind of why I'm bringing up some of this. You know, that guy's Japanese. This guy's this. That guy's that. You know, but it, it so I just sitting back and I'm laughing. I get up to my place in line and I'm like, yeah, rebook me. I just want the thing. They're going to take care of my bags, which a little bit of red flag there. But the lady's asking the right questions. What color is your bag? What your bags look like? Get your thing. But the problem is I'm not in the system. She can't find me. And when she goes through this search, it's kicking her out. I said, oh, it sucks to be gray, huh? I'm, I'm cracking jokes. I'm like sitting there. I'm going, is it because I'm short? You know, that kind of stuff. And, and so they're all, you know, they're like freaking out. This other like head lady comes over. She can't find me. So they end up taping me to the manifest, like sta- stapling my original ticket to the manifest because I'm not on there. And they give me like a manual ticket for the next day. So they're taking care of my bags. They're doing all this other stuff. We, we go over. All right, no big deal. Well, I'm going to go to the Captain Cook Hotel downtown. It's got the best restaurants and bars down there in Anchorage. So I get in the cab, I say to the guy, Captain Cook, I go to Captain Cook, 
no rooms. I'm like, oh shit. So I'm texting Mark because Mark's at Sheep Creek. There's a family day that Mark's going to be running suppressor demos, training demos, all that stuff on Saturday. So Mark's not even in Anchorage where he lives. So I'm like, oh shit. So there's a Marriott two blocks away. So I walk to the Marriott. Marriott's like empty. So I'm like, cool, man, because it's expensive. You know, room in Anchorage at that point, it's like 400 bucks a night because it's it's tourist season. You go back at a normal time and it's it's whatever. But the woman gave me three vouchers for meals and a mail-in to get my, my reimbursement on my hotel. So what do I care? Go to Marriott. Everything's cool. Get my room. Get up the next day. Go to the airport. Airport is dead. Empty. Hardly anybody there. There's nobody at the United counter. But I already have my ticket and stuff. The only question is, do my bags make it? Walk through security, all clear, get to the gate, chill out, listen to the tunes, the whole thing. A couple of people from yesterday are trickling in, trickling in. Now, you know, I'm sitting at the front of the bus and there's a bunch of people in the back. But when we get on the plane, there's only 45 people at the back. Like, it emptied out. Whatever they did, whatever the heck happened, this flight is half empty now. So you got to wonder, man, United, is it is it easier to go get... A damn set of freaking pilot and crew? Or is it easier to screw all this up and pay all this extra money and then have an empty flight go back? But class move happens, all right? The captain comes out before anything, and he's not on the intercom in the cockpit. He walks out kind of like right at the beginning in the middle of first class, and the dude apologizes, like a sincere, real apology, not from United, from him. He does kind of do a United apology and they do the United cares. And, and, and you know, I got like 15,000 free miles for the inconvenience and, and all this other stuff. And, but he apologizes. He says, listen, I take this stuff personal. What happened in Chicago with the maintenance, I agree with. Not having the crew. Hey, man, that's a debatable issue. But we are here now, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick it into overdrive and get you back in four hours and not like five hours and 20 minutes. And he did, man. He got us there really quick, great flight. The other cool thing he did, he gave everybody in the back everything free, TV and Wi-Fi that he could. Now, I was on a flight in June, and the June flight was fucked up too. It was two hours delayed, but the air crew and the captain were douchebags. Right, totally didn't do anything. The system didn't work. It was screwed up. A time before, and I think it's the same captain. Okay, a time before I was delayed, he gave the people free Direct TV. Okay, well, this one that was late in June, nothing. Couldn't care. It's your fault. Blah 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 blah. They were idiots. The whole thing. But moral of the story is, man, don't get excited. Don't go out of your minds roll with it just rolling over into the next flight the next day worked in everybody's favor and everyone I sat with was happy they rolled over and I sat with a lot of like premier global and stuff first class people the guy sitting next to me was like a global premier and he's like and, and he only had two days home he had to go home to get a suit and stuff because he's meeting with some senator on Tuesday so he was going home for Friday to Monday so now it's Saturday to Monday the dude just rolled over and says, ah, cuts my day home. I wasn't even going to go home, but I need this suit. But he went the drama-free route, and it works, man. I'm telling you, that's the deal. So a little bit of Sheep Creek air travel. 
coming back to a lot of stuff. I got a little piece of video uh, showing Mark on the rifle. Uh, I'm going to do a little narrate after this, and I'm going to put this video up. Mark keeping his cheek weld on the rifle and some of the stuff that we're doing. Like I said, I know we're, we, you know, we sit there at Sheep Creek and we got the bar and they pour us heavy drinks and we really love those guys. I mean, great food, great atmosphere, great people. And, and, and it's funny, man. We don't care that we're kind of half in the bag and we're, we're posting to you guys. I, to me, it's squad bay. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's us being in the squad bay and Mark really gets off on the, on the Marine Corps stuff. You know, he's like, Frank, bring your hog's tooth. Frank, bring your hog's tooth. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ, man. My hog's tooth fucking hanging on the wall somewhere. Hang on, I'll get it. You know, and that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I wore it like one day. So, um, I'm not a jewelry guy. But, um, came back to the hide, man. All great conversations going on. Great topics we're all talking about over there. Updating some stuff. A lot of spotting scope discussions happening. And, you know, I travel around with the spotters. And I and I'm gonna talk about the like um you know three main spotters. Uh, there's the Leopold style, either Leopold or Bushnell, the, the you know the the 15 to 45, 20 to 60 with the reticle. And I'm always adjusting spotters with reticles, reticle, reticle, reticles. Okay, I have a lot of them. I have most of them. And um, my primary are the the Heinzel spotter 60. I have the 45, but it's kind of in backup mode. I don't use it. And then the Shirovsky STR-80 with the Illuminator reticle. Now, Mark and those guys and a lot of people use the Leopolds uh, and stuff like that. If you're going to go the Leopold route, get the HD. And I'm pretty sure you can custom shop. We talked to the Leopold guys before. You can get the gold ring model for less money with a reticle and save like 400 bucks. And then just Sharpie the gold ring. The tactical HD is more money. It's identical to the gold ring. And it the only difference is the black ring versus gold. So um, I only recommend the HD. Now we use the high-end spotters. If I need it bulletproof, if I'm a, hey, this scope's going to take punishment. This scope's going to be in my check bag. This scope is going to be in weather. This thing's going to get beat up. I usually opt for the Heinzolt, although I do use the spot or the Shirovsky, the STR-80, in all those conditions, and I love the STR-80. I love the ability to lower the, the, the um, opacity on the reticle and kind of overlay it without it blocking anything. You know, I, I, the only thing is the auto shut off is a little bit of a pain in the neck. I'm always, because I'm on a line, you know, six, eight hours, it'll auto shut off. But it's it's a great spotter. I dig the Shirovsky stuff. I dig their their um their lasers, their binos, you know, all that stuff. It's good. Guys, a lesson learned from the hunting class to tie this all together is with some of these hunting scopes, you're a hunting guy. I recommend the Shirovskys like the X5 with the target turrets so you can cross over. Okay, if you do those really limited, flat, low-profile turrets, you can't kind of play the crossover game, and it becomes two different situations. Guys who have hunting rifles and reticles with target turrets, we're still able to dope them out like a target rifle. Guys who have the flat ones, we run into a, you know, it's just a holdover, all you have. You know, you can't really dial them up. It, they don't work that way. 
you know, there's some Kalas and some Shirovskis and some of the European ones that have those target turrets. The other one, which is a rock star on the line, is the Night Force Shiv, the SHV, Shooting Hunting Varmint. If you want lightweight, low-cost crossover scope, that is an awesome, awesome scope. The other one I like for a crossover scope is the Vortex AMG, okay? Because it's lighter, smaller, it's not as big and bulky as the the Gen 2 Razors, okay? So there's all this little stuff that we're learning. I'm going to do a podcast and I'm going to bring up heat, barrel heat. Barrel hot, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because with these classes in Alaska, with the hunting rifles, and it's cool weather there, okay? It's not 100 degrees like it is here. You know, we got off the plane. It's a freaking 100. Well, uh, you know, we see the walking and the movement with heat, and that's stress in the barrel, especially with these really light pencil thins. We don't see it on the AIs. We don't see it on the Bartlands. You know, we run these things like friggin' raped apes, man, running round after round through it. And they, and they rarely walk, okay? It, it, but these other rifles with these lighter contours walk all the time. I, I really think where we should be going in the terms of barrel contour is there, there's a need now because of competition, because of hunting crossover, you know, killing two birds with one stone. There's a need for a hybrid contour, where we have almost a longer straight taper, and then it drops down to figure just about four inches and maybe a little more, but let's give it a minimum of four inches in front of the recoil lug. That's where our taper needs to start. Then we can drop that barrel down to like a light palma, really narrow, you know what I mean? Because that doesn't matter down there as much. And in a way, this is sort of what you get, believe it or not, with stuff like the proof carbon fibers because their tapers are a little straighter they're profiled underneath but what's happening is that heat comes up from the chamber then that hits that carbon fiber and what it does is that gap in there there's that air gap in there okay it shoots that heat completely down the barrel so we're taking and, and i'm using round numbers metaphorically you know so Instead of radiating from 100 degrees out on steel and getting hotter and hotter and hotter and running down the barrel, it takes 100 degree from the chamber and stretches it like taffy and thins it out. So it's 26 inches of, you know, 5 degrees hotter and not a radiation from 100 to 300 to 4, you know what I mean? It's not like this crazy hot where we see the walks happen. So if you're going to hunt and you want to go thin, I recommend the proofs nowadays. Then if you're going to go steel, go with like more of a target taper and go a light palma. But for you gunsmith guys out there and you start um, experimenting. George had the gap contour where he was a little thicker at the, you know the chamber and then he contoured. In fact, the gladius is a gap contour where it comes out a little longer before it starts to taper. I think we can start playing in that and really start kind of, you know, pushing the heat back a little bit because heat's our enemy. You know what I mean? And if you have any kind of stress in there, it's going to make it move and walk. But if we give it a little bit more mass, we can push that string of fire out a little bit. With the, with the um, corporate class we had with all the hunting rifles, here's the deal, man. 
we had to go and only shoot like three to five rounds. I mean, three was max on some of these hunting rifles because they're so pencil thin. And I get it, man, for especially like the sheep hunters, they got to walk up and down the mountains and stuff like that. Um, I get that. But you know what? Go shorter. You're not shooting far. We, we got better bullets, powders, everything else. Instead of going super thin at 26 inches, go a little shorter. You're in a little closer. You still got good bullets, and you're not going to lose that much velocity. Yeah, you're not going to have some, you know, 3,000 feet per second that you're going to shoot something at 75 to 225 yards with, but I bet you your energy will still be there if you're, if you're 2,900 feet per second or 2,850 out of a 22-inch barrel with a little light contour, like a light medium palma. But if you want to go to target crossover, boom. You, you got a little bit more longevity. You can get 10, 15 rounds out of it before it might start to wander a bit on you. And that's a big deal, man, when you're playing both sides of the fence. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if I do a good enough job talking about context. I've been trying to do a better job about talking about context. You know, game versus this. And, and man, Key Kinnaman there. Shout out to you. I saw it on Facebook today. He's in Nebraska. I think he lives in Colorado now, but he was a Raskin originally. I met him once. Um, he he was talking about his game rifle and how kind of the light bulb went off. Like, you know, he, he was chasing equipment to a certain degree, using some of the crossover AIs, AXs, different stuff like that. And he went to an MPA game gun, bought every MPA accessory possible. And now targets he was missing, he's he's hitting, and he's hitting without even touching the rifle. He, I mean, he got behind it, did a little light free recoil, just kissing up to the, hit the target. I mean, he's talking four inch targets at 500 yards. He's hitting with this setup off a barricade. The last shot he took in his little personal video, he looked away. Now he's still behind the rifle. He's he double checked, double checked, everything's good. He looked away. And he tapped the trigger and he hit this four-inch plate without even looking at it. And he he realized, this is him talking, not me. This ain't right. This isn't marksmanship. This, this is buying a hit. And absolutely you can buy a hit. The only, once you buy a hit, the only thing you have to know is how to get into position efficiently and how to get out of the position efficiently and move to the next without wasting time. Because then the only, the only thing you're fighting is time. If the rifle's going to do all the work for you, it's about your time on the clock. So where your practice goes, getting into the position, setting that rifle up, lining it up, touch, lining it up, touch, lining it up, touch, getting out of the position to the next one. It's not marksmanship, man. And that's coming from another guy. That's not coming, like I've said it, I've said it a lot of times, but that's coming from this other guy who's been chasing this stuff Every time, I mean, if you know, it's K-E-Y-E Kinnaman, right? If you know him on Facebook and you're friends with him on Facebook, man, you can watch his progression of doing this stuff. Great dude, you know, but it's, it's, it's a light bulb. It's a realization. And what I'm saying and what Mark's saying and, and all those kind of bumbling fundamentalist posts and stuff after, you know, the guys buy 10 shots of fireball for everybody. It's, 
I can turn a marksman into anything moving forward, but does that mean the any guy can come back to a marksmanship deal? Not so much. They got to start over in a lot of ways. So if you immediately buy your way in, does that translate down the line to your hunting rifle, to your prone rifle, to all this other stuff, to your ELR rifle? You know, I think if we can get some of these guys to set their rifle up and understand marksmanship better, the ELR scores will go up. The ELR stuff is, I mean, because the equipment is great. The bullets are great. The velocity is there. The wild card factor is it's a big ass gun that recoils and you got to get behind it and drive it. And these guys tap the trigger, no cheek weld, off to the side, all this other stuff. We start getting those guys to understand marksmanship. Those two-mile hits are going to become more and more because now they're driving the rifle correctly. So it all kind of plays into this deal. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of where I'm going with this. And it's context, man. I get it. We can create, you know, we can, we can, we can have, you know, cut a bunch of aluminum chips, make them fly. We can build it up to do a barricade and do what it needs to do. No issue. We can get it done. But is just getting it done enough? Nah, I don't know, man. It's 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 one of those things. I'd rather you have solid grasp on the fundamentals to know your cause and effects because everything you do after that is gravy. It's gravy, man. All right. Hey, I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna start answering some more questions. I got I got a backup of emails. I got a bunch of people wanting to buy banner ads and do stuff. I got to send them all kinds of paperwork pain in the neck, but I'm going to get these podcasts. I am going to Gunworks this re- uh, weekend. I, 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 and Cody, I just booked my rooms. Uh, going to drive up to Cody on Thursday and, you know, I'm going to shoot that match. I'm not in shape to shoot. I don't even know what rifle I'm going to dang shoot. Um, I almost think because of the way my shoulder, my shoulder feels like ass, man. I'm going to be on 10 units. It, 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 it hurts quite a bit. Um, you know, it just needs to be worked on with that broken neck deal I got. I was almost thinking of damn just shooting a 308, you know, I don't know, but, um, I'm going to go to the range tomorrow. I'm going to look at either that 20 inch 260, the little short guy that I have, or I may just do the same vortex, uh, not vortex, the same Tika, uh, the gain, left hand gain twist. And I may just do the left hand gain twist only because people are asking me about it. I got Texas last night from, uh, Nathan um, and, and stuff asking me if I'm shooting the left-hand gain twist teak up there. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to shoot. I'm going to try to go as light as I can. And unfortunately, my six Creedmoor, which is my lightest rifle, I, I had that broken um, bolt stop on it and I never fixed it. And I got to go in there and pull it out. I need to get that fixed. So my lightest competition, you know, anything that can, you know, look like a competition rifle is 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 gonna be um is gonna be out of action just because I kind of threw it to the side and I got the parts, it's just I you know I haven't done it um and I I have to take it into mile high because they gotta take the pin the broken screw it was threaded what happened is Defiance did this run of these actions these deviants and stuff and one of the gunsmith requested the capture pin to be threaded. Well, it sheared off on me and broke the thread, which is why I just haven't tapped it out and replaced it. We're like George's deviants have a roll pin type of deal or a retaining pin versus a threaded pin. 
And now I got to get this damn threaded pin taken out that's broken in there. Um, you know, it was just a, I, I get the, I get the concept, just a bad execution on whatever part for the pin or something. It wasn't hardened. So I'm, I'm, the Tikas are probably going to be my lightest rifle. And if I do that, that 20 incher, that probably will be the lightest one. So I'm going to look at that today. Uh, go to the range tomorrow. I got to dope the thing out. Um, I'm going to throw some prime or if not, I may look at my 136 grain load just because Cody Wyoming might have a little bit more wind and the 136 will do better in the wind. But I really don't have any dope for any of these rifles or anything other than what I shot. And actually I was screwing with my Kestrel and I think I overwrote my original. So I'm going to dope the Kestrel tomorrow. I'm going to dope my Garmin. Uh, with the new deal, and, I, and I'll go dope that when I get back. I'm going to run everything out. Uh, I'm going to see which rifle feels the best today. Bring that to the range tomorrow. I got to swap that Vortex that took a left on me a couple times. I'm going to put my Night Forces back on, probably the 7 to 35, maybe the 5 to 25 because that, that tick's smaller. But um, yeah, man, I mean, if I had different ammo probably for that uh, Valkyrie, I may even, I would have probably brought that friggin' thing only because it's smaller and lighter. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I haven't decided. It's it's Monday. I don't know what I'm going to shoot on Friday. But it'll be interesting either way it goes. You know what I mean? All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thank you to everybody. We're over 2,000 subscribers with the Everyday Sniper Podcast. That, and it keeps going up, man. You guys are fantastic. I love the fact you're sharing this around. Come on over. Uh, I got that Stephen Felt guy. He's over on the Sniper's Hide asking questions about it. He did a little truing and his BC dropped down a little bit. Hey, man, it happens. Doesn't matter. Your muzzle velocity's higher. It, you know, BC's down a bit. I don't know what that, you know, maybe Berger used 3,200 feet per second and not 3,000. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Believe the bullet and the numbers lined up. If the solution's better, it it's the right answer, okay? We're trying to get a more universal solution when we true. One that carries from A to B to C, not from A to B, retrue at C, D, retrue E. We want A, B, C, D, E to work across the board. You line that B, C up better and then get that closer to your real world muzzle velocity, it's going to work in more locations for you. And that's the whole point behind the Kestrel. Set it up the way they ask, and then line it up and go, and you guys will be golden. All right? Um, Send your questions across. After the Cody Wyoming, I don't have any place to go until Guardian. I'm going to be back in it. You'll get some real podcasts, some sober podcasts. I don't drink when I'm home. That's just a that's a Sheep Creek thing and a travel thing. You know, it, it, it's one of those deals. It's fun. I mean, that's part of the class. You figure we meet 745 in the morning out front for breakfast. We all have breakfast together because we put our breakfast orders in. We convoy to the range together. We have our, you know, about seven and a half to eight hours on the range together. We go back, drop our gear off, might take a quick shower to, to, to just splash off. Then we all have dinner and drinks together. You know, some of them will, will be done by 10 o'clock. Some of them we close the place at 11, 12 o'clock. It depends on the class. Some classes ring the bell. Some classes don't, you know. And and then we're back up the next morning at 7.45 doing it all over again. You figure every day that I'm in Alaska, but the first day and the last day is this. That's the schedule for work, and it's just multiple classes. 7.45, 
Back at the rain, uh, at the at the Sheep Creek by six, out till eleven twelve, seven forty five, eleven twelve, seven forty five. All with the students, man. They pay five hundred bucks for that class, okay? Because it's Alaska. Because that's the that's the market up there, and 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 that's how that works. I charge more money here. I don't hang out with the students here. We don't do the club thing. You know what I mean? Because that just doesn't work like that. We never did it even with the bunkhouse that much at Rifles Only like that, you know? Soon, you know, 5.45, Jacob's gone, that kind of stuff. He's up, he'll show up the next morning at 8 o'clock. You, you don't really interact except for a few groups one day, maybe when it's over, have a barbecue or something like that. But up there at the lodge, man, this is an everyday event. And the funny thing is, when a new class rolls in, the first day, you know, they're all done by 10. The second day is the 11, 12 o'clock, you know, uh, close the bar because they're happy. They're, you know, they're hitting targets. They're out there shooting stuff. They're ready to go. Then the next class comes in. It's a 10 o'clock night for them. Then it's a midnight night. Then it's a 10 o'clock night. It, it, so that's when I did the podcast. But it's funny because a couple guys buy shots for everybody, ring the bell, through the table. And then when they all disappear, it's like, oh, shoot, what am I going to do now? I can't go to bed this early. You know, I, I go talk podcasts for you guys. Um, you know, but anyway, it, it, I, I want content for you. I want to make sure that you're, you, you know, you got something to listen to. And I'm sure there's a nugget or two. I was surprised there wasn't more feedback on that, that podcast. But, um, <laughs> or even the last one with Mark. But anyway, we're rolling into it. I'm going to, I'm going to get some stuff and figure out what I'm doing tomorrow at the range. So expect another podcast on Wednesday or, you know, not for you that the days matter, but two days from now, expect another one. Cause I'm going to be on the range tomorrow. I got to get my rifle ready for Wyoming and, um, you know, we got, we got to get stuff ready to go. I'll be using my game. Uh, not my game. I keep calling it that. It's not, I got to use my, my, my war horse, my little guy. I'm bringing the little war horse. God, it's funny how things become like PRS describes a type of event, not the series. As if the PRS invented this. They invented nothing, you know. But it's still called a PRS event, and it's not. You know, how a game changer bag is, is a synonymous. Hey, did you use a game changer? You know, synonymous, even those fortune cookies and the Saracens and all these other, you know, Chinese cheater bags and, and all these different bag names. But when you think about putting a bag on a barricade, the first words come out of your mouth is game changer. Kind of, that's a credit to you for marketing, man. I got to give it to you guys. Um, It worked out and and trying to, I find myself doing it because it's the easiest way to communicate with people. And then last thing, fuck you fucking trolls. I'm so sick and tired of your ass. Dudes come on my YouTube site and he's like, Oh, I could pick this guy up and hang him from my rearview mirror. <laughs> you know what, dude? You disrespectful fuck. You're nothing but a goddamn YouTube troll. There's been a lot of them lately. I got these guys, zero firearm education, zero experience, trying to educate me on recoil management. You know what, dudes? Shut up, sit back and learn something instead of saying, you can't do that with a 7mm 08 hun rifle. Take all that off your rifle. Take that suppressor off. Yeah, it's a 338, dude, and we're still doing it, suppressor or not. You know what I mean? You can't hold it right if even if you tried. You know, take that muzzle brake off. Yeah, as if you still aren't jumping to the side with a muzzle brake. But we've been doing this for a long time. We and I'm not gonna say we invented this. We finessed it, fine-tuned it. We made turned it into an art on recoil management down at rifles only. 
and all these friggin' uneducated rubes who want to come on my channel, and, and and I say this because there's like four a day lately, okay, and it, it's and it comes in my phone, and I get it, and it's like an alert, and it's like, oh, what's going on in my phone, and it's a YouTube comment, and it's some dude being a, a you know a mega friggin' wise ass, um, you know, but otherwise, it's like, you know what, dude, I, I'm gonna just start friggin'. Sending you to spam. Let YouTube deal with you guys. Get a clue. Go out and shoot. You know, there's me on video doing it. And you're going to argue that what I'm doing is wrong. Okay? It's not wrong because it works. It's not wrong because other people can do it. That's the difference, man. Just the fact that you can't do it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's wrong you know, for you. Oh, I can't do it, so you can't do it. Oh, you're cheating. You're using this. You're using that. In this, back with Jacob in the in the um, online training, we did recoil management with his dad's 416 Weatherby hunting rifle. Okay, we did it off sticks. We did it from the sitting. We did it from multiple positions, and it moves a bit, but it doesn't move like you see guys move. Get your shoulders in front of your hips. Manage it. Get straight and square. Make sure... And equipment matters, dude. I get it. If you're using a piece of junk freaking bipod, yeah, it might hop because it's a piece of junk bipod. A Harris has springs in it. If you have a Harris all the way at the bottom, you're loading those springs. You got to take a notch out. There's a tip for you. Got a Harris? Always be one notch out so you're not bouncing on the springs. Don't believe me? Put it all the way in and then push the feet you will see they spring load. That's why stuff bounces forward. You use like that elite iron that we do. There's no springs in there. It doesn't move, okay? It doesn't bounce up because there's not a spring in the feet. Context, context, context. And, you know, like I said, I used to play with the trolls a little bit. I ain't feeding the trolls no more and I'm tired of them. I'm done with them. The hide's cruising up. We're having a good time. Tons of signups. Guys even noticed it. They said, hey, man, a lot of signups lately. And apparently Glock Talk or something had an exodus. I don't know. I don't follow other sites or forums. But, um, yeah, man, we got great conversations on there. If you're a troll, you're gone. If you're going to play games because there's a guy on there who is trolling a couple people, you're gone. I don't need you. I don't want you around. I'm not feeding the trolls on my site anymore. If if you're gonna be in my network somehow, some way, and you're a troll, you're done. And if that means to report you spam wise, I don't care. If that means to to kick you off on my site, I don't care. We don't need you. We won't remember your name a day from now. So keep trolling me over my height. Keep trolling me because I shoot better than you. Keep trolling me because I, you know, I'm a little bit smarter on this topic because I've actually been educated on it. And, you know, and, and take classes and go to different places. I mean, hell, people always say, gee, Frank, your videos look good. Yeah, I take cinematography classes. You know, when I was teaching precision long rifle at Rifles Only, I'd go to Pat Rogers, Leary Vickers, Clint Smith. I took their classes for handgun and carbine, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I take classes. I went through sniper school. I take classes. Other people's precision rifle classes. That's how it works, man. But I'm not some freaking rube with some, you know, 708 hunting rifle who's going to try to come on and say, I don't know anything about recoil management because he can't do it with a 708. In a video with a 308, 
He says, try it with a 708 because it'll have more recoil. Scratch that head. Anyway, <laughs> done. That was good. I like that rant. All right, guys, listen to Frank at the Everyday Sniper. Um, I don't know where I'm going to see Mike or whatever, what's going on. I know they shot uh, the Craig match, the NRL match. Uh, don't know much of what happened. Didn't see much social media-wise about it. But, um, you know, maybe Mike will pop on and, and give you guys an update on what him and Adam. I know him, him and Adam taught a bit of a class up there. Uh, they shot the match as well. So maybe he's got some nuggets he can send over. Anyway, I'm off and I will talk to you soon. I got to go figure out what rifle I'm going to shoot this weekend. Ciao.